Welcome to Learn Me Write with Catherine Waller. Welcome, Kat. Could you please start by telling us a little bit about your role here at QUT? Sure. Hello. <laughs> um, so I'm Kat Waller, Project Manager at the Australian Centre for Health Law Research. Um, so I manage the development and delivery of voluntary assisted dying training in several Australian states. And I've also recently been undertaking some comparative research in the area of voluntary assisted dying. Perfect. Thank you. Uh, and also thank you for coming on the pod. Um, I have some rapid fire questions for you. First, sure. what are your pronouns? Uh, she and her. Perfect. Your highlight of the year so far, personal or professional? Sure. Um, probably falling pregnant. I'm 20 weeks pregnant. <laughs> <laughs> <Thank you. laughs> um, coffee order? A uh, little bit of coffee at the moment, <laughs> so I'd probably say a good cup of English tea. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, what would you sing at karaoke? Uh, probably an Elton John song, maybe I'm still standing. Excellent. I, I hope that I would be able to hear you sing this one day. So that is on my to-do list for 2023. You definitely don't want to hear me sing. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Kat. So let's go to the first substantive question today, which is about your research problem. So can you tell us a little bit about your, your topic that you're investigating or researching? Sure. Um, so I might just start by providing a bit of an overview of a recent comparative paper on the Australian state VAD laws. Um, so I'll just refer to voluntary assisted dying as VAD, if that's OK, because we'll be saying it a lot. Um, so it's to be published later this year in the University of New South Wales Law Journal. Um, so together with colleagues here at ACLA, we developed a paper which compares and critically contrasts VAD laws across all Australian states. And the paper also makes some recommendations on possible areas for law reform. Um, the paper concludes that while there is a distinctive model of VAD in Australia, which started off with Victoria, the legal framework in all states is very prescriptive and detailed. It sets out a comprehensive request and assessment process, a detailed prescription and administration process, and all of the various rights and obligations of um, people such as practitioners who are involved in the process. But the paper also comments on some key differences amongst states, and um, I might mention some of those more significant differences, if that's okay. So in Victoria and South Australia, for example, registered health practitioners cannot initiate conversations about VAD with patients. So patients themselves have to raise the topic of VAD. Uh, the prohibition was included so that patients would not feel pressured by their doctors or practitioners to access FAD. Um, but of course, it can also be a barrier to people who might not necessarily know that VAD is a legal option in their state or who might not feel comfortable initiating the topic. Um, so some other states have addressed this issue by including a more nuanced approach. So practitioners are allowed to raise VAD, initiate VAD, um, but they do also have to give patients information about other treatment options and other palliative care options. So VAD really becomes part of that comprehensive conversation about end of life generally. Um, there are also some key differences which I'll mention about the eligibility criteria that people have to meet to be able to access VAD. Um, in most states, a person can only access VAD if they're expected to die within six months. This time frame is extended to 12 months if they have a neurodegenerative disease. In Queensland, however, the time frame is 12 months across the board. Um, this is significant because most people accessing VAD um, do have cancer, and it just means that they can start the process a little bit earlier. 
Um, another example in terms of the eligibility criteria is that in most states, a person has to be either a permanent resident or citizen of Australia to access FAD. Um, in some other states, the criteria is a little bit broader. So people who've lived in Australia for three years or more can access FAD. And again, this can be significant for people who've lived in Australia for three, 10, 20 years, but have never bothered to take out a permanent residency visa or uh, got their citizenship. Um, and just lastly, I'll mention that whilst all states address conscientious objections of individual health practitioners in their laws, so um, people, practitioners do not have to participate in VAD if they conscientiously object to the practice. Um, only three states, however, cover the position of objecting facilities. So whilst all facilities can refuse to provide VAD in all states, in some states, such as Queensland, South Australia, New South Wales, they do have certain obligations, such as allowing people to receive information at the facility where they're, where they're staying. Um, one thing that all the states do have in common, which is a unique feature to the Australian model, is that all practitioners wanting to participate in voluntary assisted dying, so to provide it, have to undertake mandatory training. Um, and this was a feature first adopted by, by Victoria. Um, and it was a recommendation that came out of the ministerial advisory panel. And the panel said that because VAD is a new practice, um, quite a complicated process with a lot of um, specific obligations of health practitioners, it was really important for all practitioners wanting to provide VAD to undergo mandatory training. Um, and Victoria, as I said, was the first state in the world um, to have this requirement. And um, I guess on that, I should also mention, um, so whilst all states have this mandatory training requirement, states do vary in terms of who can provide VAD. So in Victoria, for example, only medical specialists um, can provide VAD, whereas in uh, Queensland, for example, um, doctors can undertake the roles, whereas um, nurse practitioners and registered nurses can also be the administering practitioner. Um, so just in, in terms of uh, the training, so the Australian Centre for Health Law Research was engaged by the Victorian WA and Queensland Health Departments to develop this training. Uh, the training takes approximately six to eight hours to complete. The first couple of modules explain how VAD explains how VAD sits in the wider end of life context. They provide guidance on having conversations about VAD with different patients, including patients from diverse backgrounds. They also explain um, that practitioners have the right to conscientiously object to VAD. They don't have to participate. Um, and that all views should be respected. And the modules also emphasize the importance of practicing self-care when participating in VAD. Um, the later modules uh, really describe the, the VAD process in quite some detail, what practitioners must do at each step. Um, and there is an entire module, for example, explaining each of the eligibility criteria in detail. Um, at the end of the training, practitioners are required to pass an assessment to uh, complete the training. That was an incredible overview <laughs> of your work in the comparative research space and also about the training. And I think the the differences between the laws that you summarised at the start speak to why the training is so important because there are so many differences and nuances in each state's model. So it is really important that doctors or nurses or nurse practitioners feel like they know how to provide and they feel comfortable doing that. So thank mm. you so much for talking us through that. And it's an amazing resource to have that paper that you've led as well. 
That was excellent. I think it was really interesting that for patients, they need to be really aware of which state or territory they might be in before they try and go about accessing it. Um, And just because you've heard something from the news doesn't mean that's actually specific to your situation, depending on the state that you're in. But I really think it's interesting and I I get really excited for Australia that we were the first, um, you know, model to introduce training, which is really exciting. And it's nice to know that we can trust our healthcare system with this really unique and you know, um, difficult area of end of life law. Yeah, absolutely. And I know that Canada as well is following on in their developing training at the moment for practitioners. So um, we might have been the first, but we're not the last to have introduced that training sort of yeah. within the system. So that's really interesting. And actually, I think some of the other countries um, that are currently contemplating VIBE laws, um, maybe Scotland at the top of my head is also looking at mandatory training, which is great to see. So in terms of our next question, you've highlighted some of the differences between each state's model. Um, do you do you see any issues with that that might be resolved perhaps by governments or policies or um, other forms of regulation? Yeah, I'm sure. So I guess um, as, as a starting point, all states are required to review their legislation at some point. And hopefully some of these issues um, that I flagged will be addressed during those reviews. And other issues can be dealt uh, with at a policy level as well. Some issues that I haven't really mentioned before, but that come up a lot are remuneration for doctors, um, access to doctors in some states. There aren't that many trained doctors or they're not necessarily in in the right area. Um, so, So that's something that can be addressed at a policy level. Um, participation by facilities I guess to a certain degree can also be addressed at a policy level doesn't necessarily need to be contained in the in the laws Um, and I think that there's already a lot of work being done um, in this space there's some really engaged stakeholders and health departments and, and people working in the area so that's great to see. Thanks very much for that overview Kat and it's really interesting to know that each government body is actually required to review the legislation and look at some of the the aspects of the law so it'll be interesting to see how and if the law does change over the next sort of five or so years I think Sinead mentioned it before that it's really interesting and important for everyday people to know that each law is quite different and you need to think about what the law says in your particular state because that might impact how you access it or what you do. So could you maybe speak to that a little bit more? What does the everyday person need to know about some of the issues that you've mentioned? Sure. I guess for anyone wanting to know more about assisted dying generally, um, so members of the public or health practitioners, each health department in each state has many, many really helpful resources um, aimed at community members, aimed at practitioners. Um, So I definitely jump on their websites. Um, Each state has also established a support service specifically for VAD. So in Queensland, that service is called QVAD Support um, or the State Navigator Service in other states. And so for anyone that has more of a specific question about VAD, whether it be a a member of the community, you know, who might be contemplating VAD or, or wanting to know more information for a family member or also practitioners, health practitioners who have any questions, that service is absolutely wonderful and you can give them a call during business hours again their phone number and and details will be included on your um, state health department's website 
And then I guess for anyone wanting to know more information on the research that's being conducted, um, including recent findings from interviews with patients and family members, you can visit the QUT publications portal, which is ePrints. Um, and if you search for voluntary assisted dying, all of the publications on the topic will, will come up. That's fantastic. Thank you. And, and one of those recent publications that you mentioned uh, really did highlight the role of that service that you spoke about, the statewide care navigators, as they're called in Victoria, as being just a central critical part of the system. So that's a really good point to raise awareness about that. And we'll um, maybe we'll link to some of those resources that you mentioned in terms of the departments. Brilliant. I don't have any more questions. You have so comprehensively, for me as someone outside, I'm going to say this a thousand times across this series, out series outside the VAD <laughs> research team, you've very comprehensively explained the differences that affect patients and families in relation to like eligibility criteria. But I'm also just really like happy and I feel a bit reassured to know that, you know, those providing this service are getting a comprehensive education, not just on how to prescribe, like, you know, a particular medication, but just the holistic aspect of an end-of-life option. So I feel much re much more reassured coming out of this podcast. So thank you, Kat. You're welcome. <laughs> Thanks for having me. And thank you to our listeners for listening in once again. <laughs>